Hey, everybody. It's Moscow here with a quick question, plea, reach out thing, whatever you want to call it before we start the show today. And it is for you, dear listener, to send in an email and make the case for why we should do the next hop grenade in your city. That's right. The Hop Grenade and the Brewing Network team are looking to expand, and frankly, we don't know where the hell to do it. And I know that there are lots of you out there who live in great cities with great populations and great craft beer culture, and maybe something like the Hop Grenade would work in your city. So wherever you live, write in scott at thebrewingnetwork.com. That's scott with three T's at thebrewingnetwork.com. And let me know why the Hop Grenade would work in your city. Anyway, that's it. Support our sponsors. Shop on Amazon. By the way, you now can shop on Amazon if you live in the U.K. or Canada. Just go to the right-hand side of the Brewing Network homepage, thebrewingnetwork.com. You will see Shop on Amazon. You click on that. You'll have your choice of Amazon U.K., Amazon Canada, Amazon U.S., and you just do all your shopping there as normal after you click through that link. And uh, Amazon gives us a little cut, and it's a win-win, win, lots of wins all around. So there you go. All right, that's it. Enjoy the show. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Best all right, yes. Oh, dude, this is Scott missed a button there on the board, and I was like, uh-oh, are we going? We're live. We're live. We're live. It's the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay. Welcome to the show. We're at the Brewing Network Studios in downtown Concord, California. That's a, that's a fact, where we are right now. Everyone's just looking at me. Among other places. <laughs> There's something else going on here tonight. Uh, we've got Bevo behind the glass. Hello. Uh, that's very prompt, very prompt response tonight. Thought to a good start. And we've got Scott here. How's it going, Scott? Hi. That's Bebo was on time, so I just wanted to, yeah. you know, Balance give it, it out. three Mississippi. Edit it out and post. It's fine. But we've got a, a full house. We've got a Brewing Network celebrity host, great head of hair, Justin. Thank you. <laughs> the, the third part is my is my favorite claim to fame. Yes, looking especially good today. Uh, this is the first uh, Justin appearance on the show, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Except for you well, know chit chat before the show, but uh, and then I no. promptly leave usually. He just uh, doesn't like sour beer, I guess. I, well, love, yeah. I love sour beer. It's, <laughs> he still might leave, let's be honest. <laughs> I like to go out to my car and listen to the sweet tones of your voice, uh, like on my drive home is what I do. And you're probably listening live on the Brewing Network apps by searching BN Mobile. Exactly. Which apparently is broken right now, but uh, I'll get it fixed. It's not the BN I know. It's not the BN I know unless we complain about something that Justin's doing yeah, you know, right. without him listening in the first segment. So uh, it's good to have you here, and it's good to skip those complaints because I'm afraid you'll beat me up. I'm happy to be here. Well, Scott, uh, Rare Barrel co-founder and another tall human, Alex Wallace. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Great to have you, Alex. And the whole reason we're here tonight is the next person I'm going to talk about who is dusting off his shoulder right now, live in studio. Walt Dickinson from Wicked Weed. I'm going to read out his whole title. Keeper of the Funk, Head Blender, Slash Owner. That can't be beat. That's the best title in the game right there. 
hello. <laughs> Sorry, yes, I was getting Walt. a dramatic pause there. <laughs> I felt like that was deserved after that intro. So it's it's well deserved, and thank you for being here. We're uh, we've got Walt in town for for more reasons than just one, but we're going to be uh, drinking his beer on the show tonight and talking about those other reasons, and just generally talking about sour beer. If you guys want to join in, please, I implore you, contact us. It's been uh, we're averaging about. Point three phone calls per show. That's not per per podcast. That's per like time we're sitting down and recording two shows. So uh, it's great when you guys call. So uh, please do that. Triple eight four zero one beer. Yes. Good thing we have a, a real host here. Yeah. Thank you. I went on that whole diatribe and forgot about eight 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 four zero one beer. Uh, also join us in the chat and keep uh, Bevo busy, or else there's really no reason for her to be here because she she doesn't like sour beer. Either. Bye, Felicia. What's that? I think she she saw herself out. I said oh, okay. bye. bye, Felicia. Felicia, I don't in, get I don't get that reference. I was it's born from in Friday? 1985. You were not born in 19. Are you serious? Yeah, you're such a youngster. All the millennials are saying it now. <laughs> that it's a. I need a raise so that I can buy more wrinkle cream. <laughs> yeah. I also don't get that reference. So, <laughs> but thank you, thank you, Bill. <laughs> For manning the chat, you can talk to her about uh, by Felicia, whatever that's from. Gone with the wind, is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. From Friday. That's where it was first invented. Gone with the wind. With the wind. <laughs> <laughs> we are off to a good start. And I'm done. If you have any feedback about our start, you can contact Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com or me, Jay, at thebrewingnetwork.com. Uh, watch us live on the webcam, thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV. Hopefully we're on the uh, the overhead cam so we can all see uh, see Walt right now. Bevo's not paying attention, so she's not responding. We're here. No, we're on. Kevin is actually just talking about how he doesn't understand that you didn't get that reference. I apologize. Yeah, Kevin, when, when were you born? 1980. 1980. Okay, let's move on from that. <laughs> you already know how to listen live, be an app. Uh, subscribe and leave feedback on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, got a lot to do on tonight's show, so I want to move quickly through the top. A few rare barrel things before we dive into all things Wicked Weed. Uh, One of our beers that we're putting out there as, you know, one of our our best examples of sour beer, one we're really proud of, which is uh, Ensorcelled, our dark sour with raspberry. Award-winning. Award-winning. Ensorcelled. Ensorcelled. Hard to say, also. But that's being released, actually, this upcoming Friday, and that's something we're, we're pretty happy to have in the taste room. Is that right, Alex? Oh, very excited to have that. Yeah. Is this the same batch that, that won the award? Uh, no, because it's a brand new batch. Okay. So uh, this one has been bottle conditioning and is just ready to go now. So we're really happy with that um, and happy to share this beer uh, with a lot of people. It's our third time making it. And we think, uh, or I'll, I'll just speak for myself, I think this is the best batch yet of this beer. So really proud of it. Hopefully you guys are able to try it sometime. Can I uh, ask a question about yeah. Sorzel? Absolutely. Is there any level of, I mean, there must be some, but level of consistency with, with that beer from your, because you are, it's the same recipe, you're trying to produce the same beer, but obviously different things happen. But do you think it's a fairly consistent beer of yours, or is it completely different this year? I think that's one of our more consistent beers. Okay. I think year one and year three are very similar. Year two is slightly different, but you get all the same flavors. This is just really nitpicking. Okay. Other beers, like uh, our one of the beers we make is called Forces Unseen, which is a blended golden sour, and that's something that we actually make to be inconsistent. Okay. We're trying to show off 
the forces unseen, which is the wild yeast and bacteria, and how many different flavors you can produce by just having the same malt bill. And we do pretty much one of those batches per year. And the idea is eventually we'll get up to enough stock where you can have kind of vertical tastings of that beer. And the point is for each one to be different enough, yeah. but also, you know, that they're high quality and, and tasty sour beers. But I think the fun part of sour beer is there's an implicit kind of inconsistency in yeah. them being wild fermentations and all. But, you know, there, there's some wiggle room there. So some some brands you can try and be very consistent with and then other ones you can kind of play around with that and say, hey, try out all these years and try our improvements and all this stuff. But I don't know. Well, are you, do you, are you feeling pretty like your beers are pretty consistent? You're you're doing some year over years now when you go back and try them. Do you feel like you're getting good consistency on the sours? Yeah, but the way we look at consistency is, um, like, we like to say our beers are not consistent, but they're consistently good. And and kind of the same way you look at vintage and wine, right? Every every year's vintage is different. Was it a dry year? Was it a hot year? Was it a wet year? How early was the harvest? What were the grapes like? And I think sour beer can kind of fall into those same patterns where, you know, did the beer feel, did Black Angel feel like Black Angel? Did Medora feel like Medora? Did Ensorcelled feel like Ensorcelled? And I think it's about the feeling and the expression of the beer. And, and we're also, we're blending these things, you know, we're, we're in different places when we're blending and having different staff around that is maybe contributing to, to what we're, what we're putting into the final blend. So yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's, is it a good beer? Does it feel like the beer it's supposed to be? And I think that's the most important part. Yeah, absolutely. I think we try to take the same tact and, you know, there's always, uh, you know, ho- hopefully, you know, every beer we make is good, but there's sometimes it's like, okay, that was good, but I think we can make it a little bit better. And then you kind of have to take that risk there. Mm-hmm. So you just try to do that in a measured way with your experience. And I think with more experience making sour beer, you can be a little more aggressive in your changes year over year. But honestly, within Sourcehold, that's something we haven't changed too much, but we also haven't had to change too much um, because it's it's been consistently the way we want it that's kind of why i asked it about that particular beer is i agree with the change year to year and and verticals are fun and tasting that and the beer geeks love that right but something in me wants just one uber consistent awesome sour beer and ensorcelled could be that beer for me like i want to i want a sour beer that's my pale 31 right like i go to i go to pale 31 because it's just so great all the time it's very consistent and I, I, actually, another part of my question, I think another reason why I asked is I, I wonder if, you know, if I had last year's ensorcelled, but I had it six months ago, yeah. and I had this year's ensorcelled, I think I would probably, of course, I haven't had this year's yet, but I guess I'm asking, would I notice the difference unless I tasted the two side by side? I might just go, ah, there's my ensorcelled. I'm a happy man. That's another great point. I mean, you just think about how much of a moving target sour beer is, and then you compound that with making it a fruited sour beer. And, you know, maybe you have, you know, Red Angel from last year from Wicked Weed, and then you go to blend the new batch. Are you going to blend to the bottle that you have from last year? Or are you going to blend to your idea or ideal of what Red Angel really is? You know, it it, it becomes a little bit of a, it's definitely a moving target. It's almost like, you know, launching two missiles and trying to have them hit each other in the sky, yeah. <laughs> which doesn't work. Apparently, you, You're never really going to achieve that consistency with a, a product like sour beer without pasteurization, are you? That You, you said uber consistency. Well, you're but, only going to do that if you pasteurize, right? That's what I've gleaned from, like, Lauren. I mean, consistency is in the eye of the beer holder, but it's, you know, 
you have pasteurization and you're still going to have oxygen ingress with those bottles. And Lauren would say, I pasteurize this so you could taste it right now. This is how I want it to taste. And it should be pretty stable as a sour beer, but it's not like, um, you know, putting bottle conditioning with Brett or something like that, doing a long bottle conditioning where, oh, this could, you know, improve over time. So there is that point in time where this is the best it's going to be. And then, I mean, I don't think she's blending her lawfully for next year off of this year's lawfully because it, even that is different, even with pasteurization. Hmm. So uber consistency is, yeah, nearly impossible for maybe any any beer but Bud Light, all those kinds of beers. I just don't you think know? it's the point, you know. It, it's Again, it's about that feeling of the beer. I mean, I, I can guarantee Ensorcelled, every time I taste it, it tastes like Ensorcelled to me, you know, whether it's – Acidity is slightly higher or lower. Maybe there's a little more Brett character in one and the other. Or the, the fruit character is brighter. I don't know. I think to me, it's it's more about that feeling of what the beer is. And, and, and I think we are consistent because, well, how can you be extremely consistent if your palate's always evolving and you're a blender, mm-hmm. right? You know, I look at beer so differently today than I did a week or a month or a year ago. So that's just part of the game. Hey, so, you want, you sorry, Jay, ball. you got to stick with Pale 31. <laughs> no, I'm good with it. As long as I, like I said, I, I do think like the, you know. The there are year, worse things to have to stick with. Yeah. There, <laughs> the year difference, if I can just go taste it and go, oh, yeah, there's my ensorcelled. That's fine. I'll, I'll be happy with that. If one day it's wildly different, you threw a different fruit in it, then I'll be pissed off. But, you know. Right. I think your phrasing there is important where it's, if you can like blindly taste the difference, and I think that's pretty hard to do. Yeah, if, okay. if you're making a. Uh, Consistent sour beer, that's that's pretty consistent for sour beer. And, I, you know, I think in Sorcelled's kind of at that level. I mean, it's getting there, but, you know, it's only it's the third time we made it. Um, like I said, I think the first and third years are a lot more similar, but this is this is my favorite batch yet okay. for sure. Um, one thing I want to mention is something that uh, Walt is in town for, which is uh, r- slightly rare barrel related, but more uh, Firestone Walker related, speaking of Bill 31, which is... Uh, we're all going to uh, Firestone Walker International in, what, two days? Yep. That's right. Very exciting. RV in it. Yeah, the best way to do it. But only on the best ride boy. down, and then I'm like free, like, I'm just, I don't even know where I'm staying. I'm they didn't like, give you a bed? Oh, no, dude, I'm going to be, like, huddled under a tree, like, with a towel. It's all right, you'll be passed hoping. out anyway. Yeah, that's my plan, <laughs> just to get drunk enough to pass out somewhere and not worry about it. I'll throw a blanket on you. Thanks, bro. You, yeah, you might not need it. It's going to be 100,000 degrees. That's, that's true. true. That, luckily, Firestone does a great uh, job taking care of all the brewers. There's plenty of, uh, you know, water around and other liquids that aren't water, which is great. They have water slides for us. <laughs> <laughs> lots of lots of liquid, uh, you know, do. caressing of all the hot people there. And if you're lucky, uh, the Brewing Network crew will shower in your RV uh, <laughs> yeah. while you're throwing a party at your campsite. That's right. And then show you a video of it later. <laughs> hey, look what we did. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Right. That's great. <laughs> we're very strange. But we're all really, really looking forward to that and obviously honored to be invited down there by uh, Firestone. Um, we're going to be in San Diego the next weekend at uh, Society's fourth anniversary party part of the brewers games which uh i'm a little bit nervous about you know swinging clamps and doing barrel things and i, I heard it was going to be a cornhole, but then that that just left the game list and now it's not there so. i'm so not surprised oh, about yeah. that that's w- cornhole is way too boring for those guys well they heard we were yeah, coming. They heard a, okay heard. It's got to get about some games. Walt is shaking his head. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> no uh, but speaking of that, <laughs> one minute later, uh, we're going out to uh, Asheville 
That's in North Carolina, right? Yes, that is. Never heard of it. <laughs> to the uh, Wicked Weed Funkatorium Invitational <sighs> Jealous. in July. Jealous. Well, can you give us a, a brief rundown on what I'm talking about? Just awesome. Just lots of awesomeness. <laughs> Thanks. Back to me. Okay. Yeah. Love <laughs> no, it's, uh, so this is our four, third year. Yeah, third year doing. Uh, originally, it was Funk Asheville, and then we've kind of evolved it, and now we're calling it the Funkatorium Invitational. Um, and it's just kind of a gathering of who I think and and I think who the industry kind of thinks are maybe some of the leaders in the sour beer movement and kind of just a place to to bring everybody from all over the country together to share knowledge to you know the, for me it's the biggest thing is to bring this community together there's a lot of us doing this and we're really spread out and it's just a great way to try and get everybody there to kind of create new friendships and and learn about each other's techniques and what we're doing uh, and and largely just to get to know each other because it is an important community i think that we start fostering that community um if this thing is going to keep growing the way it is and on top of that now i got a great brewery list together we're gonna have fun and the community gets to enjoy that so we like a thousand people or so there um sold out really fast Uh, amazing beer list and it's at you know kind of a big outdoor facility behind our production facility and yeah, it's going to be great. And Luke is going to be sitting home with his arms crossed, right? Luke will be pouring uh, IPA somewhere <laughs> by himself, just uh, by whining. Himself. Yeah. <laughs> no line. Just, yeah, just be at the pub drinking pernicious till he passes out, Crying. angry because he doesn't get a festival and I do. <laughs> and Luke is uh, Walt's brother who has a uh, long-term, uh, what's, what's the Facebook It's like thing? a pallet. It's, it's complicated. It's kind of like, beer. yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know. Arrested something's wrong. I, I think it's a genetic defect, personally. It's a handicap. <laughs> it's really. definitely a handicap. It's holding yeah. it back. Yeah. For sure. I think you should get a I don't a know if you've seen him lately. Uh, he's, he's looking pretty, <laughs> yeah, pretty shabby. It's not handicap. It's disabled. disabled. Okay. It's Sorry. very important. You seem to be doing Sorry. pretty well when uh, Justin, last year, about one year ago to the day, uh, invited him to be part of the Sour Beer panel at Fire. Yeah, he did Walk. great on that panel. <laughs> Killed it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> It was Luke up there bullshitting his way through it. You know, until Jay, until Jay called him out. Jay did. He, Jay, so Jay is, has been upset with me ever since because because I invited the non sour drinking brother. Well, uh, there, you know, wasn't, and you he, did think you were inviting me on the panel, <laughs> and then we kind of like flopped it on you. So it was probably. a little bit our fault. <laughs> and then Jay's never. He's like, really? I was there. Like I was standing. You saw me standing there. I was just looking at Justin the whole time. Just did not break eye contact. I did not invite Jay up to the stage so he invited himself he came up and asked a question on our guest microphone mm-hmm. uh, in which he he called out the non-sour loving i just asked him when he you know the whole panel i asked when did you fall in love with sour beer luke well let's start with you <laughs> yeah and he was up there you know <laughs> with many other great He's a good sour sport. yeah luke's a great guy and uh making a great ipa in fact we just had uh you guys worked on this together but it's the uh pernicious mm. IPA. Oh yeah, Luke's the Luke's the hot maestro, man. So good. He's, he's great. It's a, it's not only it's not just so good, it's a silver medal in IPA good. That's silver Huge. medal in That's insane. You know, you guys do the uh Justin, you guys do the uh, broadcast and it pops up there how many entries are in each category first. This one 336. Wow. Was this World Beer Cup? Wow. This is JBF. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. And it and it tastes it tastes like silver. <laughs> yeah, not quite gold. Not quite. <laughs> not quite. Just oh, almost. Oh man, it's almost there though. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, not bad. It's an East Coast thing. A few more years, you guys will. You guys will really make it as a brewery. <laughs> One of these days. <laughs> but no, it's a terrific beer, and uh, love poking fun at Luke. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him out there at the fest, and uh, that's going to be a great time. And we're again another uh, 
festival we're very proud to be invited to. And that's not all we'll be doing there, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, quick recap of the last episode, and then we'll go to a listener question. Don't we have something going on quick, at your place quick, tomorrow? Quick uh, beer break. I guess I should promote that, right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like you should. That's a good point. So we're going to have a Walt back <laughs> tomorrow, as long as this goes well. <laughs> and I don't forget other things that I'm supposed to say. Uh, Wicked Wheat's coming over the rear barrel, and we're uh, doing a tap takeover. Alex, do you remember what we're serving? Uh, Garçon de Firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, pernicious. pernicious. Yep. Freak of Nature. I'm drinking uh, that right now. Mer- oh, yeah. Myrtle? Merti. Merti. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't take French in Everybody, college. I didn't either. <laughs> Recurrent. Yes. Nice. Great list. I think that's it. That's most of There's probably one or two more that yeah, are fantastic that I'm forgetting. That's a good Thursday night. Yeah. This, yeah, this oh, part of uh, Rare Barrel's uh, new Thursday, another uh, day of the week, uh, Rare Barrel's open. What time do you guys open Thursdays? Because I'm going to invite myself for tomorrow for 4 sure. 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. Boom. Yeah, it's new. We've only been open on Thursdays for about one to two months. It's actually a Thursday invitational, so oh. <laughs> you did not get an invitation. Can I come? You're, you're just Please? invited. That's what I was going to end with. Yes. Um, yeah, how's it been going? N- new day of the week. It's great. It's something we thought we would be doing about two weeks into being open. And then Jay kind of right before we opened said, hey, do you think we have enough beer to be open Thursdays? And looked into it, and we, we didn't. And so we just kind of waited until we had enough beer to open up Thursdays. But it's he's, going well. He's so right. lazy, Jay. God, Jay, I mean, get it together. I did, and now we're open Thursdays. <laughs> oh, okay, so. great. What are you talking Only about? Just two took years. us two years. Yeah. <laughs> All right, last episode, real quick, uh, Q&A show. We had some listener beer and, of course, our friend Dr. Lambic. Yep, both those uh, shows are up. Great. Awesome. Go listen. They were great. But uh, let's uh, let's refill our glasses with some beer and then talk all things Wicked Weed. Maybe we can get to a quick listener question before our break. Sure. This is from Jaden, a.k.a. Liam Brew. He says, hey, guys, love what you're doing with the show. Was wondering uh, what you think of pH versus titration. What titration. Is, titra- what is titration? It's total acidity. Okay. Uh, pH versus total acidity and what the pros and cons are uh, of using uh, total acidity over pH when it comes to aging sours in barrels. Um, and also uh, kettle souring with lacto. Well, so I don't know. Are you guys using uh, Total City? No, not really. But we did have uh, Jim from Firestone mm-hmm. Walker Barrel Works on one of our shows a while ago, and he, he went into it a little bit. But do you guys use TA for We're anything? just starting to. So we just finally, with the new brewery, we have an actual lab. And so we're starting to do Total Acidity, but um, sour beer still falls kind of bottom of the list for micro and all the things that we're doing right now. But with the new expansion of the Funkatorium, we're going to start doing total acidity a lot more. But basically, think of total acidity as it's a round or more accurate representation of your acid perception, whereas pH isn't necessarily the same thing. pH is kind of giving you like a singular note and saying like, okay, well, this is what the acidity is, but that's not necessarily how you're perceiving it. So I think in general, total acidity is a much more accurate representation of what a beer is. I mean, a good example would be recurrent, which is on tap today. That goes into the barrel at like 3.2, 3.3 pH. Um, I don't know what the total acidity of it is, uh, but I can guarantee you the total acidity is going to change as it ages, whereas the pH basically stays the same. Um, so I think that's the big difference is, is you can have something that has a relatively low pH but doesn't seem that sour, whereas total acidity, I think, is a much more accurate represent, representation. Why use pH? Uh, easier, much easier. And, and for us, again, it's just a tool. You know, I think our palates at the end of the day are the decider of, of what the beer should be. So for me, pH is just a way of me kind of tracking and understanding what's going on. It's like talking about IBUs, right? I mean, how many IBUs are in a beer? Well, who cares? Does that really define how hoppy it is? That's actually probably the best mm-hmm. representation of right. what the pH total acidity is. 
you know, total acidity would be like hop flavor. What is how hoppy? It's a combination of bitterness and hop character. Whereas uh, IBU is just bitterness. Definitely, it's just it's a matter of scales. So you know, uh, three point two five to three point two. Uh, you know, it's hard to not visualize, but the equivalent of taste that difference versus going from four is it grams or milligrams per liter? I forget, but you know, you, it, the scale is like four. You know, five, six, eight, twelve, thirteen. It's a lot easier to know. It's like, you know, turning up to 11. It, it, it makes things easier to understand when you're, you know, looking at sour beers on a shelf or something like that. So I think Firestone Barrel Works does a great job putting it right on the front of their labels. And uh, it's, it's been fun to see people start to mess around with that a little bit more. Like so, we're really excited to start being able to do that in the new facility because I think it will be a much clear representation of, of again you talk about consistency in beer you know it's a good tool because right now ph i don't even look at it because i it, i know it doesn't really affect what i'm trying to achieve whereas i think total acidity would be something that we're going to look at more closely and say okay well maybe my palate feels a little weird today i'm not blending to like what the ph or the total acidity was last time okay the last part of uh, Jaden's question is that he he says he's read a few people trying out acidulated malt in higher percentage to cheat a lacto pH drop and get the acidity do you guys have any experience with that or, or recommendations um, does it sound like it would work no I mean you'd get light a, tartness. A, a pH drop but yeah I mean it, it, it's for mash adjustment more than anything and I mean just starting anything with uh, you know to cheat this you know right. you're off to a bad start, yeah don't so. cut corners. This is not possible. You can't pick up enough acidity from acidulated malt to like emulate even even like a light kettle soured beer. Yep. All right. Skip that one. Thanks for the question, Jaden. All right. Well, we got to refill our glasses and then uh, start talking to Walt about some wicked weed stuff. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. The 2016 Homebrew Con is coming. June 9th through 11th in Baltimore, Maryland. Be a part of the biggest and best homebrew event in the world with thousands of homebrewers from all walks of life. HomebrewCon is open to anyone 21 and older who is a member of the American Homebrewers Association or Brewers Association. Not an AHA member? Don't wait. Register now. The AHA is dedicated to promoting the community of homebrewers and empowering homebrewers to make the best beer in the world. Social packages and full conference registration is available now. Enjoy seminars from industry leaders like Sam Caligioni, Stan Hieronymus, Jeff Larson, Paul Sangster, and Drew Beecham. Visit the Homebrew Expo for the newest and best in equipment and ingredients. And don't miss Club Night, the biggest night in homebrewing. Register today at homebrewcon.org and join the Brewing Network in Baltimore for all the fun at HomebrewCon. It up. Jesus. I'm already drunk on Wicked Weed, I think. Uh, we're back. Nice job about the buttons there, Scott. Thanks a lot, yeah. <laughs> really great. You know, uh, I think you were distracted because I told you I had something to tell you right right before we came back. I got one cheek hanging off the edge of my seat here. It's just not It's not for you, though. It's for everyone listening, everyone in the BN Army. I wanted to let you guys know, 
Our friends at the American Homebrewers Association have a special offer just for you. Join or renew your AHA membership in June. That's right now for the first time this year. You're the first one to do this. Breaking news. It's June. And receive six ounce of mosaic hops from BSG, comma, free. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. I might sign a good hop. (laughs) Write that comment, man. A little pause. Uh, With your membership. (laughs) Just visit homebrewersassociation.org and use code BANAHA. Are you are you grammar checking your oh, live read right such a now? Grammar Nazi, you are. Or You're some might Moscow. some might say it's B N A H A, all one word, all caps. When you join or renew, offer ends the end of this month, which is June. While supplies last, visit homebrewersassociation.org and use the code B N A H A. That was the worst. I, I'm glad I'm not paying you for this live read today. It Thank was you. Terrible. Thank you all. Thank you all so much. B N A H A. Make sure you use that link when you go sign up. And, yeah, just while we're on, I wanted to let you guys know that that last question in the last segment was brought to you by SourBeerBlog.com. Listen to our good friend Dr. Lambic in the last show and go ahead and cruise by his website, SourBeerBlog.com. Outstanding articles, really in-depth, really technical. If you're serious about sour beer making, you got to be on SourBeerBlog.com. That was all off the top. That was good. Nailed that one. That was nice. <laughs> all right. So, Walt, we're on... Uh, <laughs> it's By the way, it's because the grammar in the notes for that one are perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now I know, fine, I need to run it all through Scott before uh-huh. I give it to Jay, right. who's even worse. Or yeah. better. Or, yeah. or the best. Uh, speaking of the best, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Walt's bona fides. Uh, let's, just go, let's just run through real quick. JBF Gold for Mampara. I think that's how you pronounce it, right? Specialty Honey is, was the category. Uh, Serenity, that was JBF Gold for Brett Beer. GBF Silver, as we mentioned before, for Pernicious IPA. And then, uh, just this last time, World Beer Cup Bronze for Tyrant. Or no, that, the Imperial Red, that was a while ago. And then you got Labonte Pear and Brett Beer and Red Angel for uh, Belgian Sour. Am I missing any? There's It's a long list, so no, I don't, don't want to... That's that it. it. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, open in front of us now, we have Labonte or Labonte Pear? Yeah, Labonte. Labonte Pear. just Labonte means the goodness. Pear. So, tell us a little bit about this beer. Well, Labonte Pear is one of our Brett Farmhouse beers, and even though this beer has some acidity to it, and and we actually blend a portion, we'll probably talk about this at some point during the show, but we blend a portion of our Golden Sour, our mother beer cassette, into it uh, before it goes in the fooder. But to me, it's a Brett-forward beer. I mean, it's a primary Brettanomyces fermentation. It's it's short-term in oak in the fooders, uh, and then bottle condition with Brett, so... Brett's the star, and even though the acidity's there, I feel like I would not call this a sour beer. It is a lightly tart beer, and I think the acidity plays up the the sourness. So Labonte, we do three Labontes. We do fig, plum, and pear, uh, and they're kind of the idea was uh, kind of throwing back. It's kind of weird. It's kind of how I started the whole this whole Brett Farmhouse series we're doing now. Uh, where I'm doing this slight inoculation, it was kind of looking back to the idea of kind of these old world saison that they would produce, where they'd blend a portion of a, a lambic to kind of stabilize it before package. Maybe happened, maybe didn't, depending on who you talk to. But I love the idea of it, and so the idea with Labonte was to work with kind of a, a very agrarian beer. These are working with um, North Carolina grown malts uh, in our house culture, and then this has about a half pound per gallon of French pears in it. Nice, comes out really well, uh, and yeah, whether that uh, happened or not, I'm glad. Someone had that idea or someone wrote that down because it comes out in a good beer right here. But uh, so, yeah, you're talking about that, you know, this is a, a Brett beer and, you know, people just heard that that rattled off uh, awards list. But, you know, you're from Wicked Weed. Tell us a little bit about what you guys do there and what the hell is a Funkatorium? 
So I'm Walt Dickinson, Wicked Weed. I'm the head blender there, which is kind of a funny title, but I don't know what you call somebody who runs a sour program and does the blending, so that's what we call it. Um, my brother and I started the brew with some partners. We kind of are like two breweries in one. We're, we're a clean brewery is what we call it, which is producing IPAs and all kinds of crazy adjunct beers and, and barrel-aged stuff. Uh, and they're separate facilities. And then and then we're the Funkatorium. Uh, and the Funkatorium is a dedicated sour house producing basically two styles right now, which is Brett Farmhouse beers uh, and then barrel-aged sours, long-term matured barrel-aged sours. And uh, why the Funkatorium? It was actually my bartender, Taylor, I believe, decided that he was just going to call my segment of the board of sour beers uh, Dr. Dickinson's Funkatorium. <laughs> and I think we just kind of liked it, so it stuck. And, yeah, it kind of it's our thing now. Yeah, it worked out well. And you guys are seemingly always in the state, but you're in of an expansion right now what's the what's the update on that and what's the prognosis for the future yeah yeah we're always in the construction expansion mode uh hopefully not forever i mean i don't think wicked weed plans to be some like giant brewery but um the, how big the are world, you now uh, that's a good question jay <laughs> <laughs> save it for justin's show sorry. please thank you <laughs> wrong show <laughs> sorry my, my preface to this was being on the session so i thought that was completely appropriate right. for this <laughs> Need a few um, more beers. Jay's a prick. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to say eight inches, I'll cut it so it sounded like you just answered it rapid fire. We'll, we'll do that <laughs> afterwards. Um, so expansions, yeah. So we have the pub, and then we opened the Funkatorium a year later. We're four years old, almost four, well, three and a half years old now. Uh, and then we opened the Funkatorium, which is a couple blocks away, which is our barrel house. Uh, and then we expanded, built a production facility, which is a 50-barrel brew house um, that we're going to produce somewhere, I think this year, around like 17,000 17, barrels. Uh, packaged out of that, and that's you know our IPAs and stuff. And now that the Funkatorium is maxed out uh, as far as our barrel production, um, and we still obviously have demand for these sour beers, we're expanding to another facility in South Asheville that'll be what we're calling right now the Funk House, um, which is kind of what we call our primary seller for the Funkatorium. And that's where we're gonna, you know, I guess it's kind of like a sour production facility, and it's also going to be kind of our, our Wicked Weed headquarters so a lot of a lot of offices there get everybody in one spot it'll be great did you think that you were going to get to physical capacity for barrels this quickly i didn't think anything was going to happen this quickly i mean this whole thing's just been crazy um i think we'll produce uh 3600 barrels of sour beer this year uh, and i'm counting brett farmhouse in there because we talked about this we don't have a better way of categorizing this all from the funkatorium yeah and, and we're you know we've got 1400 oak barrels in the funkatorium right now uh, and three fooders and some punchins and you know it's it's all we can do to just keep our tap supplied and our our retail outlets within North Carolina. So can you give me any reference of what thirty six hundred barrels of, of sour beer looks like? What's what's rare barrel? What would what would sour beer out of New Belgium be? I mean, Walt has uh, he said was it fourteen hundred oak barrels in your cellar? We've got about a thousand. Okay, so generally the same, but you know they're doing more. Because of all these, you know, you have fooders in house, right? And you're doing these Brett beers and all that stuff. Yeah, like the fooder beer we turn in like four months, opposed to the sour beers take us more like a year. Yeah. So, okay. so we're getting a little more volume out of that. But I, see. Um, I think we're probably, you know, we're probably producing twenty, thirty percent more actual sour beer than these guys. But it's still, it's not, it's not a ton. You yeah. Know? No, it's not. But, but but in sour beer world, I mean, we are we are yeah. one of the larger producers right now. And sure. Next year in the new facility, we'll we'll definitely be bigger. And really, it's just we'll probably talk about this later. But it's it's really just this kind of vision we have as a brewery is like, you know, do you stay small and rare or do you say, well, I have something to say and I think these beers are good and I want to be a good example of that in the market. And I think that's kind of the direction we want to go. Okay. Do you guys know what New Belgium's ish, just for context, are they doing 10,000 barrels of sour beer? I think it's less than that. I don't know the exact number though. I don't think anybody really knows the number. Okay. It's, it's, 
Somebody, a lot. Somebody hopefully does. Somebody. I'm I sure they know the <laughs> I'm sure they do. It, it's a lot for sour beer. For sour beer. Yeah, much. again, you know, you're talking about a very small niche. And also, you know, these bottles go a long way um, because of the style of beer. It's not like an IPA mm-hmm. we're going to drink. Six pints of it in a sitting, you know. Walt just held up a bottle of Wicked Weed, which is, what is this, uh, 12? This isn't 12, is it? 500 mil. 500 mil, yep. Very beautiful labels on there, great packaging. Um, but when you do talk about introducing these packages to, you know, you say your market, what was what was the market like? You started end of 2012, around there? Yeah, I mean, there was like no sour beer. And there was no, you know, there, I mean, there wasn't even really like a West Coast style IPA being made really in the southeast when we opened uh and then sour beer you know there were a couple small producers uh i gotta give some credit to green man mike who actually just opened a brewery called zebulon who's doing some really cool farmhouse stuff uh he was making sour beer but i mean you're talking about like six barrels you know Mm -hmm. nobody was producing any kind of volume anything more than like maybe maybe you know they package a few barrels a few times a year so for us you know it was a big piece of what we want to do we want to make west coast style ipa we want to make farmhouse Brett beers and and sour beers and you know it, it, I think these are flavors that make sense to people. I mean, sweet and sour and fruit and and yes, there is some uniqueness to it. But I think with the amount of like wine drinkers and cocktail drinkers, then people who are adventurous in craft beer, obviously for us it was it was a pretty quick. You know, Black Angel really just set the stage for us when we opened, and it just kind of blew up from there. And it was like, okay, how do I make more of this beer? And um, we've just kind of been you know growing as growing that program as quickly as we could within the space we have. Right on. And, you know, I think you've touched on it a little bit already, but it, and it's a pretty broad question. But when it comes to making sour beer at the Funkatorium, what's what's kind of your approach? What's your philosophy? You know, broadly, what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, you know, I think our breweries are actually a really good um, kind of yin yang in a lot of ways of, of how you can approach sour beer. Um, I think that the way we approach it is beer is, is this mix, especially sour beer is this mix of science and art. And I think we or myself specifically is kind of like the leader of the program i'm not the best science guy i know what i have a vision for like what i want and i I know how i want it to taste i know how i want it to feel and i know what i want the consumer to feel and i think for me that kind of drives what we're doing so you know we don't we kind of have our house cultures and our house process and i think it was really thought out i mean i put a lot of time and energy into thinking like how do these organisms work and how are they going to work together and how how do we get them to be successful in our environment and then past that, I'm really working with what I do know as a brewer, which is flavors and ingredients. And, um, you know, I think that's kind of our, our thing. I mean, we have this canvas series. The whole point of what we do is, you know, we wanted to build this canvas, which was our house culture and our process. And then once we had that, we could really paint and really do things. So that's kind of how we approach things. At the end of the day, I think sour beer is to be drinkable. I think it's to be clean and easy and fun and approachable. And so... I think that our beers tend to be maybe have a little less acid than some other beers, but I think at the end of the day, they're they're very easy beers for people to come into, and, and that's what I want. I mean, that's what drew me to sour beer in the first place was being in Belgium and, and drinking, you know, Lambic and, and having this experience where I was just like, wow, I just want to drink this forever, and I don't want it to end, and, and I think that's kind of where we're at. Gotcha, and when, you know, when you're talking about driving those flavors, the ones that you want to get to in your sour beer program, obviously I think people key in on blending a lot, fermentation, but let's start a little bit earlier. Like what process do you guys go through on the hot side with recipe formulation, mashing, hopping? What do you think are the big keys to getting the flavor you guys want or that what are the big drivers of positive attributes of a sour beer on the hot side? 
So hot side, I think this is, again, this is where, this is what I know, right? It was talking about what I know, what I don't know. I, I don't know, I'm not a microbiologist. I don't know as much about my yeast. I do know the flavors I like, and I feel really comfortable with the yeasts we work with, and I think it's yielding really positive results. But what I do know is hot side. So, I mean, that's where we've really experimented. I mean, I've done, got everything, high mash temps, low mash temps, like played with my salt additions, like going up to just obscene levels of of salt additions, um, which I think has yielded some really positive effects. And we use that as a tool, um, working with high hop rates, low hop rates. I always work with a lot of, of proteins. You know, I, I rarely as a beer that we produce have more than like 60% of either a pale or a pilsner. The rest is always a blend of lots of flaked oat, flaked wheat, rye, raw wheat. So for me, it's about building, um, building a very rustic malt build i think that kind of is the backbone of what we do i want a lot of stuff for for the bugs to chew on uh and and a lot hopefully a lot of protein to kind of carry through i I know that's going to break down eventually but i do think it carries through the finished beer and as far as hops you know uh aged hops is something new that we're working with that i'm really excited about and that's kind of playing a bigger role in what we're doing so as far as hot side these beers are saison to me like i build the beers like they're saison and and i play with a lot of different grists and that and i think it depending on the beer we want to create we just play with that and was there one process change in particular or a recipe tweak that you really saw, wow, this yielded a big change in our beer, and I want to I keep this up? I think a lot of times, you know, we're considered a sour brewery, but I really feel like we're a Brett brewery. You know, we, we produce Britannomyces beer that has friends, you know, that has lacto and PDO, and those are playing a very supportive role. And even in our sour beers that are more mature, like, I feel like Brett, is still kind of the star in my eyes, and it's the thing that's supporting everything. So uh, for us, I think the big changes that really got me to where I wanted our beers to be was increasing our bitterness just a little bit um, and increasing our salt additions. And I think that is helping kind of temper the acidity in the beer and slow it down so we're able to get that kind of long-term brett development. And I think that was something I came to about, you know, when Rich and, you know, it was me and Andrew, who is my Headwood Cellarman, who kind of started the program with me, and, and that dude's like... We'll talk about him later when we talk about cassette, but he's super important. And then when those guys came over, we really started digging into like, okay, how do we make this more consistent? You know, how do we get this to be something that's a little bit more predictable? And I think those were on the hot side. Those are the two big tools we had for, for dealing with the acidity. So people listening, they're hearing what you're saying. They're like, oh man, I really wish my golden sour was more consistent. What's, you know, what's the amount of salts, the amount of hops, you know, is there a rough Ballpark where you guys landed on. I know it won't apply to everyone, but just a little bit of a framework you can recommend to new brewers or even experienced sour brewers. Yeah, uh, for me, we're we're targeting, and again, this all depends on you know. I, I still, it's pretty fun. I'm, I'm totally still a home brewer. I still use beer tools for all my recipe design and calculations because like we tried to use other stuff, and I was like, ah, beer tools, it worked <laughs> yeah. forever, and I'm just gonna keep using it. So for me, we're calculating like somewhere in the 18 to you know, 30 IBUs. Um, and I'm always trying to use like really low alpha hops, trying to, you know, I, ideally getting a lot of beta in there too, which is, you know, kind of looking at Lambic and why did they use age tops? Well, they used age tops because the beta acids were suppressing the bacterial growth, but the alpha was gone. And which is why I'm moving to more age top usage just for that same reason. Now there's also a flavor contribution there. So, you know, I think the bitterness is your best tool. Basically, if you just build it like you're building an IPA hop build, uh, you know, I've, I've taken it all the way up to like, like calcium going all the way up to like 600. But I think if you're in that 200 to 400 range, you're in a pretty good spot, but not bitterness for IPA. Where's it? What's your bitterness level at? Or, or do you, uh, you mean IBUs? Yeah. 
Oh, well, no, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I'm, when I'm calculating. So for calcium and bitterness, IPA. Yeah. Gotcha. And those, and you said age tops is what you find. You well, need. so age tops is a new thing that I'm oh, like into okay. right now. So I, I don't want to like speak to that too much. More that's like for me, it's doing the same thing, right? I'm getting, but I'm getting less bitterness, and I'm getting still um, the positive uh, flavor attributes of age tops, which it does add to me a kind of hay-like, funky. It, it supports Brett character to okay. me. Okay, Jay, do you guys use age tops or all fresh? Uh, no, we used uh, just regular pelletized tops in very low amounts. Um, just extremely recently, I mean, like in the last week or two, we did a higher opt batch, uh, 10 IBUs. Pretty Whoa, impressive. 10. Yeah. Damn. It's, it's, Say what? It's the talk of the brewery. It is the new thing. Right. And everyone out there listening, I just want to say something. Don't hop on our coattails and start using a ton of hops in your beers, okay? <laughs> this happened at the Rare Barrel first. Just, you better recognize that this is our thing and don't come following us, okay? We're using hops. Coffee beer. <laughs> TM, the Rare thing. Barrel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but yeah, we're, I'm, I'm really interested in, you know, because we've had a lot of uh, Walt's grape beers and, you know, he's obviously had a lot of success with his Brett beers and Brett aromatics and Alex's miming this smells incredible from, from his He's trying life. to silently oh, stop to, to Walt. He, he's, the aroma. He, he's, uh, you know, when I think about aromatics and sour beer, definitely one of the brewers that I look up to most and want to know uh, the most about this. I feel like hops are maybe one of the parts of the equation that is has been missing in some of our beers. Not that every beer needs to be, you know, smell like goose or there, there's... You, you dial up aromas up and down, you know, to fit whatever beer you're trying to make. But some of the beers that uh, Walt has made is just have some of the best sour beer aromatics or tart farmhouse beer aromatics that I've ever had. I feel like he says that to everybody who comes on the show, though. <laughs> I was going to say He's that. He's buttering me up, right? Yeah, pretty much. Well, Walt doesn't listen. So <laughs> doesn't. All of us hosts have the same trick, all right? Oh, my God. You're my favorite. Never had a guest like you before. <laughs> Wait, Justin, uh, who are you talking to right there, Walt or me? <laughs> uh, no comment. No, but really, I mean, yeah, Alex had a very visceral reaction right there. We smell a lot of sour beers, and he's shaking his head. He's like, you know, this is this is a great beer, so... You know, we're both on uh, Milk the Funk, and I think that's a big driver of people's curiosity is how do you drive these aromatics in these beers? And I think you're doing a great job. So so would you boil it down to, no pun intended, but boil it down to a lot having to do with the hops? Or is I mean, there a lot on the, the I, cold see, the side with the bread? The fermentation side for me, mm-hmm. I, I think that, yes, that is a super important tool. And, again, our whole thing is temper the acidity. Hold it back. Like, mm-hmm. lacto, pedio, they're tough. They're going to do their thing just like suppress it as long as you can so we can get that brett development but for us you know it is our house blend of of we basically are using three strains that we run super high generations i mean we'll run it up to 30 40 generations um we're doing all yeah well which i think is important i mean uh, you know i kind of came to that um i was over at uh i don't know if anybody here actually everybody here should know who yvonne debates is Mm -hmm. um at de la Mm -hmm. yeah. and his beers are some of my favorite on the planet i mean his beer like taurus bulba and zinna beer just like i would die drinking those beers for the rest of my life it's fine but yeah he runs super high generations and he said because you know it's a living organism. It's about it growing and, and being this thing that evolves and has its own life and its own personality. And, and so for us, I kind of came back and started pushing harder and harder. And, and we we literally don't know where the ceiling is. We're going to keep, I mean, I hope there's a day with proper 
lab techniques and yeast monitoring that will be up in close to 100 generations, you know, until the yeast just says, I've had a great life and I'm, I'm ready to move on. So I think that plays a role, and we're really careful how we use that. We actually keep two strains um, running side by side because there's kind of a sweet spot in uh, the kind of seven generations and up where we start to see really nice flavor development. So when I'm making Brett Farmhouse beers or beers I want more Brett Ford, we'll be using those generations. And then for like our mother beer, which we'll talk about later, we'll usually use cassette to kind of grow the first seven or eight generations of it. And that way we never end up not having a a mature version of that Brett beer. But for us, I think we approach it more like brewers. I think some some sour producers approach it like winemakers almost or um, whereas we're like we just like to isolate everything and split it up so we do a primary brett fermentation and then we bring it over and we inoculate it with our mother beer which we'll talk about later and that's kind of our inoculation process but the idea is if you want to get those aromatics you know my thought process in creating our kind of wicked weed way was i wanted to have a really vibrant brett culture and i thought that was the most important part and then after that we kind of worked down the line that's t- I mean, I'm just imagining a lot of home brewers listening and maybe brewers who don't uh, make sour beer as often as uh, you or I listening and saying, 40 generations, like, uh, that's yeah. going to take me 40 years to get there. Is there, how, how much of a key is that for you guys relative to the other factors? I know you said, you know, you obviously just said it was a big thing, but th- that's not something that everyone can do. So do you, how much of your success is attributed to that? exact factor i mean it's to me i I attribute a lot and cassette is the thing that i attribute most of the success to i think that's what makes our beer our beer and and we'll talk about how we use that process and what that beer is but i believe strongly that brett it's not saccharomyces you're not expecting to do the same thing so don't treat it like it's going to do the same thing Mm -hmm. so for me that relationship with our yeast is really important in what we're producing and I think you could do it as a home brewer. It would just be slower. And, and, I, and I am saying at seven generations, we see positive flavor attributes really kicking in. So I don't think you have to think you've got to go to 40. But I do think don't give up on your yeast. Like, harvest it. It's, it's tough. You know, you can keep bread around. Like, don't just treat it like it's Saccharomyces. Like, harvest it. You can keep it warm. You don't need to put it in a fr- Don't put it in a fridge. Put it in a fridge, you're going to tear that thing up let it let it be ambient leave it with a little bit of beer and keep repitching it and making more beers with it and i mean this is the same i what we do now is what i did as a home brewer so you can do it i just do it a lot more often because you know we're brewing 75 barrels a week now i think that's excellent advice um i want to get a little bit more into the whole cold side thing and your blending but uh i think we have a, a quick phone call and then maybe a question and then a break yeah who is it babe? yeah i have somebody named jen on the phone she has a question for walt jen Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I'm actually a little bit late now, I guess, to the conversation, but you guys were talking about aged hops. And I was just wondering, like, is the best way to age them a box truck behind the packaging cellar, or do you recommend something else? (laughs) This sounds (laughs) well um, firsthand. Jen, I don't don't really know. Um, What city are you calling from? Uh, I happen to be calling from Asheville, North Carolina. So this is Jen, our newest newest addition to the Funkatorium staff. Our first seller woman. I'm so glad that you know this person because I was about to go in there and scream at Bevo for doing that. Somebody named Jen is on the phone instead of like properly going, hey, it's Jen from Asheville, North Carolina. What's your question? Uh, Calm down. You just saved Bevo. Well, and, and yes, I, I don't know if you know Jen. It is a Belgian tradition to age hops in a shitty, broke down box truck behind well, I, behind I your brewery where bums. Be. I didn't know if that was the best method or if you should just you know like open a new facility that's strictly aging hops. Well, yeah. Wow. <laughs> 
Jen's Do you have got a problem hey, with our hops? Jen's got uh, lofty uh, ideas. I really enjoy new, Jen. Uh, <laughs> Jen's, Jen's pretty sassy, so we're happy to have her. <laughs> Are you building any new facilities that might be able to house such a room? I do. I actually have 5,000 pounds of aged hops sitting in a new facility, Jen. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, do, do you have any other uh, pointers for, for life for, for Walt as long as you're on the phone? Oh, God. Uh, I mean, no, I guess I, I kind of ruined something, so probably not. He told us he's been working out. Is that, yeah, is that he's, he's looking pretty ripped. Any other, uh, any other changes he should make in his life? No, no, I, I, I think he's nailing it. All right, no, good. All right good. Thanks, Thanks, for, Thanks calling, for calling, Jen. Awesome. Uh, one more or a break? Uh, let's do a, a real question here from, oh. Oh, uh, from Mark Graves, uh, who writes in from Medford Lakes, New Jersey. This is a question for uh, you all. He says, I always hear how you guys use two, three, or even four pounds of fruit per barrel with regard to your wild ales. How do you get the beer out and leave the fruit behind? I always imagine smaller cut fruit making it through uh, the bottling tank and larger cut pieces clogging the line, especially if it's uh, in uh, one large oak fooder or steel tank. Yeah, so we do. The kind of upper echelon of fruiting we've done is like six pounds per gallon uh but i'd say kind of my sweet spot for like our our rare stuff like the angels and, and this new mort series which you guys will probably taste later that's like four pounds per gallon and we get all we'll talk about fruiting later probably but we get all uh whole fruit in and then we process it in house and puree it and so uh it's just patience man we we rack the beers multiple times cold crash let it really sit and we also accept loss i mean uh we just packaged golden angel last week which was six pounds per gallon of apricots and um i think we yielded about 60 percent of the total volume wow and it's just wow. you know if you're going to use that much fruit that's kind of part of the game so we, we typically see like 30 percent loss in in those heavily fruited beers and Damn. you know that's why they're expensive yeah but they taste good. They sure do. Boy, and by the way, yeah, the, um, what is it? The, uh, gr- sorry, I'm going to Garçon butcher de firm. Garçon de firm. Man, Map of the Sun, mm. eat your freaking heart out. I'm telling you. <laughs> this is a really good incredible. Well, Juicy. So it's just a, a peach farmhouse. Um, you know, Garçon de firm just means farm boy. And, and so uh, we wanted to work with the South Carolina peaches. Uh, we have, obviously, that's a great fruit source for us. And um, because it's local, it's, it's a little more reasonable as far as price. So I just decided, well, Screw it! I'm going to go ahead and go at like two pounds per gallon, which is a lot for a farmhouse beer. So I just I wanted to be like biting into a peach. You That's know, and boom! Kind of, you nailed that. Thanks, man. Holy moly! And the rest is just just like a, a simple uh, wheat beer recipe, a simple saison type. Yep. Yeah. Simple saison type recipe. I'd have to look at it to tell you exactly what it is, but I, I know for sure it's it's wheat oats and pills, all North Carolina grown, and then into the fooder. And was there any fresh hops or aged hops in this one? There's a little bit of aged hops in this, yep. Aged hops, okay. A very small amount. Yeah. What kind? Uh, they are, I think everything we have right now is steering Goldings. Does it matter with aged hops? What kind? No, but I always just, I don't know, there's just like something in me tells me I, I want to be buying saws and steering and like the, the hops that I think fit kind of that traditional. But I mean, realistically, they should all be similar, but I do know that people have had negative uh, results using high alpha hops okay. and aging them. Again, because you're trying hmm. to age out the alpha acids. So. Sure. Those guys didn't put them in the back of a box truck, though. So it's a, yeah, it is. <laughs> see, that was almost it was a viable question. How do you age hops? Yeah, we also work Absolutely. with whole, whole flowers too, and I think whole flowers because you have more airspace within the flower to age, and then we age them for about a year before we use them. I mean, you want to age them not till they're cheesy. You want to age them till they just smell like like hay. You know, once they smell like hay, that's a good piece good. of advice. Yeah. Well, yeah, how long does that take? About a year. 
In a well, box truck, in a hot. Yeah, yeah. What we do is we cut them open, throw them in. Uh, we just got cardboard boxes, so we cut them open, dump them into the cardboard boxes kind of loosely, and then stack those with sticks in between. So they're just like in, okay. a, in the hottest place we can find. Okay. There are styles, though, for which you do want cheesy, though, right? I thought I remember hearing that for like a, a, a goose or, or something. I think it's a – I don't think so, though. I think what you want is what we're using. I think you want that dried, aged top character. You don't really want a cheesy hot – I don't think that's a positive flavor character. I'm not saying you can't make a good beer that tastes like blue cheese. Yeah. Somebody might like that. But it's kind of like saying, oh, a good Brett beer has to taste like mouse taint. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. It's just a popularized <laughs> off flavor that people associate with an ingredient that's sure. not well understood. So, I, yeah, I think – you wait till the hops, you listen to them, and then when they say, hey, then you, <laughs> you throw them in the You know, it's yeah. just, I don't know if it's coercion or not, but now that you've said that, uh, and especially as the beer kind of falls off my palate, I can taste a little bit of straw. Mm. Uh, it's like a nice uh, straw hay flavor. I think that's definitely like what I get out of them, and that's what I like. It kind of, again, it, it makes these beers feel more rustic, you know? Yeah. We did a great job. This, this is like biting into a peach, yeah. and I'm sad that it looks like there's not that much left, but... Let's get into some more beers. It will be on tap tomorrow Let's... at the Rare Barrel. Oh, Ooh. look at this guy. Let me just Is that the one... $20 bill. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't, though, for anyone watching. <laughs> Yeah, let's uh, let's drink some more Wicked Weed beers, but not before we take a quick break. You're listening to The Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. This is Jamel Zanisha, and I love a bold, hoppy beer, one that spits resin in your face and makes you cry, Uncle. There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, but at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering, but it takes a back seat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam me in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers. All right. We're back. Just wanted to let you guys know uh, about our great sponsor, the Wine and Hop Shop at wineandhop.com. They're carrying, you know, now this is new. Omega, yeast, and Giga yeast. What? Both. And you know what else? Most items are going to ship within 24 hours. And best of all, Walt, all BN listeners get a flat $8 shipping rate on orders under 50 pounds. No. And you've been working out, so you're an order under 50 pounds, too. <laughs> Just enter BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken off after checkout. The Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. And just while I'm at it, I wanted to mention, you got to listen to the other great BN shows on the Brewing Network, like, uh, you know, my all-time favorite, The Session. Justin, tell us about the next episode. Don't you have like a crickets app or sound? <laughs> Come on, yeah. we, we oh, can wait. Oh, we can wait. Oh yeah, he, yeah, we can we can wait. <laughs> oh no, he left. Okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, but yeah, listen to his show anyway. Oh, there he is. He's outside. <laughs> we all look at him. He'll know we're talking. No, he went the other way. Oh, you can uh, you, you can go through the archives and find uh, Wicked Weed's appearance on the session mm-hmm. from October 2014. I believe that was show of the year, actually. That was it show was, of the yes, year. It was, yes. You guys wow. were guests of the year that year, right? Wow. Big deal. Finally got one on Jay. 
Although, although yeah. you know, would you rather be guest of the year or have your have every single beer you make win beer of the year as the rear barrel did in 2014? Come on, guys. You can't tell me that's not a little biased. <laughs> no, we had no agenda at all. Straight up, bro. We didn't expect to get a shipment of every beer they've yeah. ever made. They went out and bought those, so it was a big... No? Oh, oh, oh okay. No, those were purchased. Yeah, they were purchased. Yeah, go ahead and listen to... Uh, yeah, well, and Luke, if you if you miss Luke. Yeah, he's just he's like a less intelligent, less better looking <laughs> version of me. Less well-spoken. Less well-spoken. <laughs> Certainly. Less funny. They both have total like author names, though, more than uh, brewers, I've always thought. Luke yeah. and Walt Dickinson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the great, next great American novel. Just have to learn to write and read. Yes, and speak. <laughs> You're almost there. Uh, so we're back. We're cracking open another Wicked Wheat Sour, and this is Therese Mort. See how I stopped that? Yeah, straight. good yeah. job. You Thank stopped you. up to the E. <laughs> this is some mind-blowing beer. Hey, Beef, you know, you might want to just, yeah. just risk the, the um, acid reflux because it's worth it. Seriously, I, I've well, never said that, have I? Funny story. Oh, I haven't what? had any because it gives me heartburn. Right. But I also had a hot link earlier, so I already have hot heartburn. So I might oh, as well just there. keep the party happening, right? Get, get a glass. I would feel very special, Bevo, if you would <laughs> In a related story, I make bad food decisions. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Walt, tell us about the great decisions that went into making this beer. Oh my God. So, Mort is, uh, this was a series I started when we opened the Funkatorium, and it was just kind of taking, again, we haven't gotten to it, but cassette, our mother beer, and blending it, um, and in kind of traditionally fruiting, you know, looking at how you would fruit a creek or a frambois. And so I made a few of them, and they were a big hit, frambois Mort being the biggest hit when we opened. And I quickly realized it was not viable to keep producing beers like that, because I can't cut into my my cassette stock because it's how I produce everything. So at that point, which was two, a little over two years ago, I started producing a Mort stock. And that was really kind of our first experiments into producing a wart uh, that would look like the wart we're now using for spontaneous. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's using a traditional hopping rate of about, well, it's around 8.8 pounds per beer barrel of aged hops. And then working with raw cereals and, and the whole nine. We weren't, we aren't doing a, a turbid mash or anything with this, but basically producing something that emulates those flavors of, of what a traditional lambic would be. Uh, and then I'm just producing a lot of batches. So this is a blend of 8 to 24-month-old barrels and then back on to 4 pounds per gallon of whatever fruit. So this is Cerise Mort being uh, Michigan cherries, and then the next one we'll release is Kiwi Mort. Uh, and then after that, we'll see what happens. That's great. I mean, for as complicated and you know labor-intensive and meticulous as that process was detailed, you know, the beer that comes out is very balanced and uh, beautiful in like a very simple but not like, you know, overly pretentious way. It's just touches of many different things. You get beautiful cherry expression, light Brett funk. There's like a kind of like a vanilla note or like a, you, you know, oh, yeah. I told you that it's like maybe a nutmeg in there. Mm-hmm. It's just a beautiful beer. And I could, you guys pour this in pints? Very expensive pints. <laughs> well, you know, it's, when it's, we come it's to red visit, drink. Will you pour me a yeah. pint? I mean, again, it's just beer should be easy. Like, they should be as complex as you want them to be. I mean, I think if you if you really want to, you can dissect this and you can get all those nuances. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's just a nice, easy, fruity beer that, that is dry and expressive. And I think that's, at the end of the day, that's the point of what we're doing is like, we make beer to be drank and I want people to drink a lot of it and have fun with it. So it's just superb. It's mind-blowingly good. It's wow. awesome. And we, you know, we've made many references now to this cassette. Now, what is that? Why is it so important to what you're doing? Cassette is, 
you know, that other piece of the puzzle, like we've talked about our wort production and how we approach wort production. Then we've talked about our, our Brett fermentations and how we do that. So cassette is, it's our, it's our house culture. It's the, it's the mother that makes all of our sour beer. And it, it kind of came out of my homebrew experience where I was culturing from, this is actually a portion of cassette is actually my homebrew culture from before we opened the brewery where I was just growing up, you know, out of a Dreyfontaine bottle and a Cantillon bottle and a Russian River and Jolly Pumpkin. And like all those beers are, are in the blend. Uh, even like, you know, some, some wild blueberries I'd picked up on, uh, up on the parkway and, and kind of grew up some yeast off of that and added to it. And it was just messing around. And so basically, long story short, what we did is we grew that up when we opened the brewery and we produced this, this mother beer and, I was kind of, you know, I think what we do, it's like music, right? You're never, nothing's original. You're just riffing off of everything you've ever heard. And so Sour Beer is the same way. I mean, everything we're doing is just me listening to your shows with Chad and, you know, talking to Lauren and seeing what they're doing. And uh, it's kind of like a modified Solera. So, you know, what we're doing is their method for producing La Felice seemed very sound. And, it, and they've been able to keep their culture alive for, you know, what, 15 years now producing that beer. And the beer's always good and it's always consistent. And it just kind of said to me that, like, these organisms are happy in that environment. It's where they belong. So I thought that was the best place for us to keep them also, not try to keep them in a slurry, not to keep them in a lab, but to keep them there and let them evolve, let them be what they are, but at the same time try to manage that. Um, and so what we did is we basically grew up cassette, and what we do is we do what I say is a modified slurry. We're using a portion of cassette to blend into all of our beers to inoculate them after the Brett primary fermentation. We're also taking cassette to make more cassette. Uh, and that was where I, I was going to say I'd mention Andrew Zinn. You know, Andrew Zinn is kind of like cassette's father. You know, he's in there. He, he works with, there's about 140 or so barrels of cassette in the brewery. And so he's managing all those. He does all the tastings on those, kind of selects them out when he picks the one, you know. And, and the cool thing about cassette is because we have so much variety, you know, if we're making a beer, we want to see a certain flavor attribute. You know, he can really, like, look and try and select out barrels that are going to play that up. Uh, and then the best of the best cassettes, that makes more cassettes. So it's kind of a natural selection thing, too. So we're, we're constantly evolving. And I don't think cassettes really changed that much over the years. She's just gotten better. She's just gotten more consistent and, and more what we wanted. And I think, again, that's just because we're, we're selecting out those best barrels. So why, why not, like, I mean, you said, you know, New Belgium, for example, that, that's been going for 15 years, and I assume your goal is to keep it going as long as it will go, right? What could happen? What, why not 115 years? What, what could theoretically happen that would, you know, stop that process? I mean, I don't, I don't think anything. I think you have enough organisms there that, you know, as some die off, I think you'll see drift and evolution, potentially, of, of, this, of the blend um, of organisms, but... You know, something is going to keep surviving. I, you know, who knows? Nobody's been doing it that long. I, I say New Belgium because, you know, they basically do a Solera-ish. But it's, it's, it's very similar to what we do just instead of a barrel. They're a, how many hectoliters are those fooders? They're like 100 and 180 or whatever. They're just massive fooders. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, my hope is that this works. It's working so far, sure. five years in. So, or five years in of the culture, you know, three, three and a half in the actual brewery. And there's been, I mean, not only no degradation, it sounds like it's continuing to improve oh, because you're doing yeah, that natural totally. selection thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, so it's, cassette is why Wicked Weed beer tastes like it does. It's why our beer and our process works. And it's the thing that we probably guard. Not that I don't want to share the knowledge. I just, we just, that's like very precious to us. We make sure we monitor that and, and manage it very closely because we know it's, it's the mother of our beer, you know, without that, this beer wouldn't be sour. It wouldn't be what it is. So you do monitor it and manage it very closely, but I guess the big the big question that could help brewers out is how how do you monitor it that closely? What are you looking for? And then the management, you know, what are you doing to let's say when you take the the best versions of 
cassette and you know you want to make more of that is it just your standard award you know what what are you doing special for that versus for the brett primary or anything different at all well we're not that's i think that's the beauty of this again it's like for me the beauty is in the simplicity of what we do it's like it's a lot of steps but it's a very simple thing because it's like I don't know, it's like baking bread or something. You know, you do the same thing over and over again, you get a somewhat predictable result. So we're doing the same Brett primary. You know, we're doing that same mixed culture Brett primary fermentation. Again, healthy Brett culture, I think, leads to a healthy sour beer because Brett's the backbone that kind of fixes all the things we're screwing up. And then basically we'll take that and we'll go ahead and inoculate it just like we would a Medora or a Black Angel or a Red Angel or whatever. We're going to give it, you know, what we do is a 20% inoculation of, of cassette into that beer to inoculate it. Uh, and then cassette does have its own grist, you know, and that grist is very much like the Mort grist. You know, it's it's 65% pills and then 35% oats and wheat and very simple low hopping uh, that we hop a little lower a lot of times than the rest of our beers. And the only reason we do that is because I want to promote that lactic production because, again, this isn't a beer I want to drink. This is a beer I want to blend off to inoculate things. So I, I want a really healthy culture of, of the acids. Uh, acid producing bacteria. So um, that's really the only change from like standard process we do. Uh, but then again, we are kind of evolving that too, where we're using more aged tops because I want to be more versatile with it so I can blend off. But we're still producing a mort, which is, you know, basically cassette with more raw wheat and more aged tops. And then we're producing cassette, which is a little bit less hopped. Do you guys, you know, you mentioned you take the best ones to make more. Do you see a pretty wide range of barrel to barrel or batch to batch variation on cassette? Um, wide within our spectrum, I think wide within a lot of sour brewery spectrum, it wouldn't be. I mean, we have a pretty tight spectrum of flavor profiles we get out of that beer. And in our barrels in general, I mean, they tend to be very consistent. I'm actually sometimes I'm, I'm like pissed in the barrel house when I can't find a barrel that has like a little bit of acetic acid in it for blending. <laughs> I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, it's, we fight against it so hard. So I'm really, I'm glad. But, you know, Andrew kind of gets pissed at me when I'm angry about that. Because uh, they are very consistent. I mean, we've gotten to where, like, we rarely, rarely have to dump a barrel. I mean, we do dump barrels. Everybody should. If you're going to make sour beer, you know, you can't was it? Can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Like, I think that was Stalin that said that. Oh, well, great. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Ruin that quote forever for me. Thanks, dude. No problem. Been using it for years. Yeah, I know. I thought it was like some, you know, sweet old lady quote. <laughs> now it's a Stalin quote. It's Mother Teresa. Yeah, right. Anyways, uh, I don't know what I was saying. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. The barrel-to-barrel -barrel variation. Uh, yeah, barrel-to-barrel -barrel variation. So, yeah. No, we, we, we keep it pretty tight. I mean, uh, Oh, no, I was saying uh, I can tell you've dumping. been working out. I know. Keeping it. <laughs> Lots of squats. Um, no, I was actually talking about uh, you have to dump barrels to make good beer. And I think that's a very important piece of, of this whole thing, which we'll talk about later, is like the quality of beers people put out. And, you know, nobody cares what you didn't pour. You mm -hmm. know, nobody cares how bad the beer is you didn't serve them. And totally. I think it's an important thing for everybody to remember when they're making sour beers. Like, you get one shot at that, especially if they haven't had a sour beer before, you know. You get one shot to turn them. And if you do a good job, you can do it. You can make them a sour beer drinker. So, you know, the barrel-to-barrel -barrel thing, we dump some, but for the most part, uh, they're pretty consistent. And I think the big things we see is increased Britannomyces character, um, increased acidity. We get a really lemony um, acidity to them, very lactic. Uh, and then we'll also see some that, that maybe are exhibiting some kind of butyric characters or something like that. But that's usually just part of the aging process because, again, we're not – aging cassette full you know it, cassette's not a year old when we inoculate it's only about four to six months old because again my next question yeah what's the youngest 
cassette inoculation and the the oldest one. Yeah, I'd say four to six. That's kind of our sweet spot. We've, you know, in a pinch, we've inoculated down to like three months. But again, you know, this is just think of it as a, a growing culture. You know, you're not you're not trying to blend in a finished beer. You're just trying to. We don't want it to be too old because if you get it too old, then you know cells are dying off and the beer. Basically, if the beer is getting bright in the barrel, that means you don't have as high a cell count. You know, so for us, we're always looking for that kind of sweet, creamy, cloudy section of the fermentation in the barrel, uh, and then that's where we're inoculating. Right on. Let me just ask this quickly about dumping barrels. How do you like? How do you make the call on a borderline barrel? Is it is it that thing like? Oh, if there's any question at all, it's a dump. There's got to be like borderline decisions. Yeah, there are. Well, and and that was where I was saying. You know, um, there are certain flavor attributes. This is maybe where we can talk about blending a little bit. I don't know if that's in the cards tonight, but um, this is where I I think we're as a brewery growing a lot right now is in in the blending, the art of blending, and um, really starting to understand what it takes to make a great blend. Like why, I think here's a good reason, why are Tommy Arthur's beers so amazingly complex? Because he's a great blender and because he takes barrels that you would probably say, I should dump this, but he knows that like a small portion of that barrel blended into the whole really lends something. I mean, it takes a while for you to understand that like ethyl acetate, you know, nail polish in very, very small amounts below threshold, I think lends to like juiciness and almost like a grapey character to the beer. Same thing with acetic acid. Acetic acid below threshold, I think I think Jay is one of the masters of that. Of, of, you know, you would never taste a rare barrel beer and say, man, this beer is like acetic, but it it's playing a juiciness. It's adding to the fruit character and the juiciness of, of the beer. And so I think those are important tools um, in blending that, that I think it's, it takes a while to understand how to get to that level. And so um, for me, when assessing a barrel that we dump, it's like the, if the flavors are just too much, you know, if I've got too much uh, ethyl acetate or I've got or I've got something that's not a curable flavor or something I can't that won't complement the blend. That's that's really where we dump them. OK, so this is a good we'll we'll round out uh, this show before the break here uh, with a question on um, acetic beer from Brandon, who says, um, so I aged a g- <coughs> Excuse <me>. bless you. <coughs> Jeez. So I aged a gallon of Saison with a sa- <laughs> He's back. I'll cut it out. <laughs> so, just believe me, this will be seamless. That uh, was totally my beer, by the way. <laughs> Three, two, one. So, Scott, you got to break some eggs to make some omelets. You sure do. Uh, that's my boy Stalin. And anyway, this is a question from Brandon Eckert, who says, So I aged a gallon of Saison with a sour dreg mixture for 18 months, and I saved the dregs slash cake after transfer. I made the mistake of mixing it with two other dreg combos before trying it. The single gallon was very acetic, and I dumped it. Uh, question, will the dregs combo I saved be spoiled from future use? You want to go? You, me, you go. They're nodding at each other. You go. I, you know, I've wondered this. Um, I think a few things you can infer from that are that the circumstances that the first fermentation was put through produced acetic acid. That might be an obvious one, but it's just one that you want to keep in mind. But you know, it's not necessarily true that that beer started acetic or was acetic at a young age or any of that stuff. Maybe you just let it go too long. I'm not sure. You know, this is another reason to taste beers along the way. We've made the analogy, you know, it's like uh, the roller coaster. You want to ride the whole roller coaster. You just don't want to, you know, go to the start, walk around the line, and then go to the finish line. You want to feel everything that's happening over the course of your beer so you get to know it a lot better. Um, you know, you could be losing a perfect beer along the way, and you wouldn't know because there are you know, certain bread strains that will produce more acetic acid over time than others. 
depending on how you make the beer or what it's stored in, that'll produce more acetic acid. So it, it's tough to know uh, what's going to happen next, but broken record, try it out on a smaller scale. If the one gallon, you know, hurt you too bad, just uh, roll it around in a mason jar and go from there. See if you're getting short-term acetic acid production. If it's tasting good, then, then go from there. I don't know. What do you think, Walt? Yeah, I mean, you know, technically you need oxygen for acetic acid to, to function and alcohol. So, you know, I think I would probably, unless I was like in love with that culture, I would probably just ditch it because you probably have too much uh, acetobacter in there to like wave it and mm -hmm. you'll probably end up with acetic acid. But if you wanted to, just I would keep it in a very oxygen deprived environment and see what happens. That's putting it. Yeah, that, I think that's a good point. It's a finer point than I made, which is that you would know if there's acetobacter in it, if it had turned to acetic acid much earlier, if it's three months, four months, five months, six months in, you're getting lots of acetic acid. Well, you probably get a large acetobacter contamination. But yeah, I mean, some breads aged out 10 plus months can start to display some acetic acid and, you know, you can get in trouble that way. All right. Good question, though. Let's get to uh, some more questions. But uh, let's take a show break. Yes, let's. Just waiting for the, the music in my headphones. You can get a little thing going uh we have a request yeah for music for the next show right oh that's right yeah what was Are it uh, alex it, it was uh blackalicious yes deception deception all right so nice, if, nice choice if you made it through the whole first show loving the hip-hop you gotta hang on and what 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 break is that going to be up for people to look forward to um first break? We'll, uh, we'll do the first break of the of the second show first break uh, no we'll put in the first show because they're hearing this on the first show so right oh no no well then this will be like a tease or something that already happened so uh, first break of the second show. After the D block. Right. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us on the first show. Uh, we got Walt coming back for some more uh, great beer info, great questions, great answers on the next episode of the Sour Hour. <laughs> 